Okay, we're in God's Word, and we're in Matthew chapter 12, and uh, we're at verse 22, and let me just pray, okay? Dear Father in heaven, your Word is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by your Word. Your Word never returns void, it always accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. All Scripture is breathed by you and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so on and so on. So powerful, Lord, is your word. And I pray that you would help me to read it with clarity and explain it with knowledge from you. And I pray that myself and all of us here in this congregation today would put everything else in our minds aside and listen and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls and to receive the teaching of the scripture in faith, believing it, prepared and strengthened by your spirit to go and be doers of it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. I'm going to read all the way to verse 37. I'm not expecting that we'll actually get all the way to verse 37. You know how that goes. But I do believe that this entire passage from 22 to 37 does encapsulate one most important thing. And so uh, I, I, I want to at least read it all together today. And we'll see how much the time allows for us to do. Here we go. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. A good man, 
out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, when this passage of Scripture is read and studied and considered, typically, and it's not necessarily wrong to do this, but typically where the mind of the reader or the preacher or the studier first goes or immediately goes is to this issue of the unpardonable sin, so to speak, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And certainly that is in the middle of this, and we will talk about that. But I think the greater point of this entire thing the thing that is woven throughout the entire passage from beginning to end is this issue of just this horrible thing that the Pharisees said, this really heinous thing that the Pharisees said and where it came from. The heart of this passage, no pun intended, is the connection between the heart and the mouth. the Pharisees spoke this terrible thing, a worse thing even than what they said in the previous passage, which had to do with accusing Jesus of being a lawbreaker because he healed on the Sabbath. This was even worse, because here what they did was they not only questioned the work, the miracle that Jesus performed, but in fact they didn't question the work they acknowledged that the demon was cast out of this man and that he was healed. But they actually said that Jesus was by the power of Beelzebub doing this work. In other words, this mighty work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that was being done was actually work that was being done by Satan. That's the bottom line. That's where they're, and so that's really like stepping it up from you healed on the Sabbath, that's not lawful. Now they're up to look, this guy is casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub is a name that is ascribed to an ancient false god, probably among the Israel's ancient enemy, the Philistines. And uh, Beelzebub came to be known as the prince of demons or the ruler of demons and kind of was an informal way, really, to get down to it, to describe Satan. So, and that's how Jesus understood it based on his explanation. So, what would make someone say such a thing? And so Jesus, after he reasons with them, to show them how, I mean, really three things. After you read the narrative portion in the beginning of the passage, which describes the event, there's three things that happen. Number one, Jesus reasons with them to show them how foolish what they said was. But then he does two more things that are very important. The second thing that he does is he pronounces basically an eternal anathema upon anyone who would actually blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. 
But then the third thing that happens is Jesus then really gets into the heart of the matter and gets to explaining why someone would say such an awful thing. It's because their hearts were not right. And Jesus uses the occasion to, number one, point out that, you know, when you blaspheme against the work of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Right? But then, but then the second thing, and really the issue is, where are your hearts? I mean, this poor soul that's demon-possessed and can't see and can't hear. The guy just received it. I mean, what's your experience of life if you can neither see nor hear? We know some famous stories, Helen Keller, right? We know, we know some famous stories of people who like worked through that, but, but mostly, if, and we know, we know people who, we know people who struggle with hearing. We know, uh, people who are blind. Our brother Charlie's not in the room right now, but, but he and I talk about that sometimes. But, 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 Here's someone who couldn't see or hear. And, 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 and he was possessed of a demon. I mean, this guy was messed up. And they brought him to Jesus and Jesus healed him. And the reaction was not, this is awesome, what a great day. No, their reaction was, it's the power of Satan that he's using to cast that demon out. That is, gosh, that is awful. Right? What a tap. Now, why would someone say such a thing? Jesus gets at it. Jesus gets at it and says, it's because of your hearts. That's why you would say such a thing. Because your hearts are rocks. Your hearts are ice. Your hearts are solid. Your hearts are solid in a negative way. Right? Let's go through the passage and we'll get through as much of it as we can for today. It's probably going to be a two-weeker here. But uh, verse 22, here's the story. The first, the first couple of verses of this just give you the, the narrative, the, the, the thing, that, the event that occurred that precipitated all of this. One was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And not a lot of detail is given. We're not told in that statement where the demon came from why the demon was in him. And I'll confess to you, after 30 years of reading the Bible, I am not someone who can stand up in front of a a group of people and explain to you this and that and this and that and, and the ins and outs and everything concerning demons and demon possession because the Bible describes it as a matter of fact. The Bible describes demon possession as a matter of history. But the Bible does not give a lot of specific details when it comes to this will lead to someone being demon-possessed. Here's what someone being demon-possessed will look like always. And here's what you need to do. There are those occasions. You know, there was one occasion where uh, Jesus' disciples could not cast a demon out. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So, you know, it's, it's a, there's, a very, there's a very dark and evil and dangerous spiritual thing that's going on. With that said, some of it just remains sort of shrouded in a bit of secrecy because of the the lack of detail. And even in this story, it's an example of that. We're simply told, as a matter of fact, that this man was demon-possessed. And so we simply believe it because God says it, right? That's all we say about that. But we know that he was also blind and mute. Was the blindness and the inability to speak 
I think I said he was blind and deaf before. You know what I mean. He was blind and he was mute. He couldn't talk. All right? So he was blind and he couldn't speak. Was that the result of the fact that he had this demon in him? I think the answer to that is yes. That's clearly uh, inferred in the passage. So this man is blind and he can't speak. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. How did Jesus heal him? We're not told. Right? So again, it's just a simple fact that's given to us. So that the blind man both spoke and saw. I misspoke before. I said he could see and he could hear. But regardless, this was a complete change of his life. Now, what he could do? He can see and he can communicate with people now. And all the... Mul- now, here's the key. The thing that precipitates this whole story, the thing that even makes us understand what Jesus means when he pronounces the anathema upon those who would blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it, the, really the beginning of the explanation of that comes here in verse 23. What does it say? And all the multitudes were amazed and said, ready? Look at this. Could this be the son of David? So you have multitudes, which is lots and lots of the people, and those people are now asking among themselves something that really bothered the Pharisees. When they ask among themselves, could this be the son of David, right? What are they really asking? Who was the son of David in common talk among the Jews of Judea in that day? The son of David was the Messiah. So now, you, in other words, you have, listen carefully to this, you have this miracle that Christ did effecting what the purpose of the miracles were. The purpose of the miracles were not merely to bless the person who received the miracles, though that is wonderful and that is a great thing, you know. And, and listen, we know that not every blind person gets healed, not every mute person gets healed, not every deaf person gets healed, not every paralyzed person gets healed, right? And those who do get healed, they do eventually grow old and they die. Right? So a physical healing is itself never like a permanent thing because for all of us, our lives eventually end. There is a greater and higher purpose. Yes? We've seen this many times. There is a greater and higher purpose in the mighty works that the Lord performed. And that purpose, you see it beginning to be fulfilled in the multitudes here. They began to ask them among themselves, could this be the son of David? That's good. That's the point of the miracle. Not just to help this guy, though it did help this guy and it's a great thing. But the point was to get these people to observe and to think, hey, could this actually be? All these years we've grown up going to the synagogues and listening to our rabbis and learning about the scriptures and learning about Moses and learning about the prophets and could this, could this be it? I mean, he couldn't, he had a demon and he couldn't talk and he couldn't see and boom, here comes Jesus and he's healed. This might be it. This might be the day we've been looking for. This might be the one that we've been looking for. And the Pharisees needed to shut it down. Right? Which is exactly what they tried to do. When the Pharisees heard it, they did not say, let's go to the Scriptures and let's look into the Scriptures and let's see if maybe this is the Messiah. Right? That's what the religious leaders should have done. That's what the Pharisees were. They were the very conservative, very traditional excessively so, as we know from reading the Bible, Jews who held 
the scriptures themselves in a high regard, but did not properly handle them because they used them to control people rather than point people to God. Because the scriptures aren't theirs, the scriptures are God's. Their purpose was to take what was God's and help, help, help the people to understand them that they might come to the Lord. The Lord raises up people to do that. The Lord himself by his Holy Spirit in us does that too, right? So um, anyway, they needed to shut this whole thing down. So when the Pharisees heard that the people, the multitudes, and, and that's what I mean, when it says the Pharisees heard it, it's not when the Pharisees heard about the healing. It's when the Pharisees heard that the people were considering that Jesus might be the Messiah, right? When they heard that, what did they do? They counteracted it. And their strategy to counteract it was what? This fellow, I mean, they tried in the previous passage to say, this can't be of God because he's doing it on the Sabbath, right? So if it were of God, surely he would not be healing on the Sabbath. Ah, they thought. And then Jesus reasoned with them, showed them, you know, the impropriety of what it was they were saying. So here they try a different strategy and they say, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And we've already explained what that means. They were saying that, look, he is cast. Understand, this man was not just someone because of a birth defect or a disease or something, couldn't speak and couldn't see. This was someone that they knew and understood was possessed of a demon. Right? And they knew that not only could he now see and speak, but the demon was cast from him. He was completely set free. And what the Pharisees said was, the demon that was in him, it's by the power of Satan that Jesus cast that demon out. Now, that's what happened. As I said, there are three things. We'll get through maybe one of them today. There are three things that happen as a result. Number one, Jesus reasons with them. That's verses 25 through 30. Just as Jesus did. And Jesus followed this pattern in the previous passage, didn't he? When it came to the Sabbath... Jesus reasoned with them concerning the Sabbath, right? And, and showing them that the Sabbath uh, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and he reasoned with them by saying, what one of you, if your donkey falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you're not going to go and you're going to take it out, right? So Jesus employs reasoning with them. And here Jesus does the same thing. He reasons with them in verses 25 through 30. In verses 31 and 32, he speaks this very powerful and and scary, perhaps an ominous judgment on anyone who would dare blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then the real heart of it, which I doubt we'll touch today, but is, is this passage at the end of this where he rebukes them for the hardness of their hearts and what the words that they were saying with their mouths revealed about the real condition of their hearts and where they really were at before the Lord. Let's consider the first part of this in verse 25. And verse 25 right away tells us something very important, doesn't it? But Jesus knew their thoughts. So stop there for a minute. There is something that Jesus can do here that you and I can't. Right? Jesus knew what was going on inside them. Jesus, Jesus could see. 
the intents of their hearts. Jesus could read their motives. Jesus knew what their intentions were. Jesus knew what they were really after and really trying to do. Jesus knew what sort of men these were who were saying these things and what it was that they were about. Uh, Without getting too far ahead of myself, but I want to say this here now because this is a very important point that Jesus knew their thoughts. Let me just tell you a little story about myself. I like to tell a lot of stories and stuff, but here's a little story about me. When I was a young man uh, in my early 20s, and I was a very new believer, and I was coming to this church, oh, probably only for about a year. So we're looking like, we're talking like 1990-ish, right? And... Um, I was just, as a believer, becoming aware of what I still to this day contend to be the evils of what has come to be known as the prosperity gospel. It wasn't quite called out yet to be that. It was sort of in its infancy back then when you had like all of these like TV shows that had supposedly like sincere gospel preaching on it and you had all of these accounts that were being given out you had like preachers saying things like, if I don't raise like $10 million by such and such a day, God has spoken to me and told me he's going to kill me if I don't raise enough money to build this tower. Some of you have been around in the faith long enough. Do you remember some of these things that used to happen back then? And you know, I remember as a young believer, just kind of being like, sort of like in tune with the fact that that was not right. It was just wrong. And like they would put these things on the screen from these big services and crusades they were having where people were coming in and throwing their crutches all over the place because they claimed to be healed and all this stuff. And it, it just looked, even as a young man, I was very skeptical of it. And I thought, I thought, you know, this is a, this is a, 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 a this is not right. It, it's so obvious to me that that these people are just trying to like scam people out of out of money and, and saying all this stuff. And I and I think years later. Has been so the prosperity gospel has been so resoundingly debunked that anyone can see that even my intuition as a young man was correct. But I remember that at one point, I remember talking with another young believer who was a friend of mine, and I remember saying, you know what? I think it's possible that even some of those healings are real, but it's Satan that's doing them to try to keep these people in blindness and in darkness. I was at the same time, don't worry about that, I was at the same time uh, reading through the Bible like for the first time in my life. And sometime shortly after that, prob- I don't remember exactly, maybe within a month or so, I, I, I happened to be uh, reading and I came across this passage of Scripture, which talked about um, Jesus saying this thing about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I began to think to myself, did I do that? You know, did, did, like, like, what, like, like I had these little doubts. Maybe these guys on TV, maybe God really did speak to him and tell him, I'm going to kill you if you don't raise $10 million to build your tower. You know, uh, it seems like really silly to me that I had that thought, but now, but back then. And so I actually got like really frightened. And one day I called my pastor who was the pastor of this church because I was going here. 
So he was sitting in there. And I called him from my office back when I was not too long out of the military. I had a job sitting at my desk. And, and I was like really troubled by this. So I called him on the phone and I talked to him on the phone. And I said, you know, and he, he knew where I was going because he had obviously kind of traversed this and answered this question for people before. And he said, he said, you're worried you committed the unpardonable sin, aren't you? And I said, well, is it possible? And, and he explained it to me, and, and I want to explain it to you. And, I, and, and Charles, um, not Spurgeon, but um, John Calvin and many other Protestant reformers put it this way. And, and it's, uh, it's, very, it's very good to know. I do not believe that it's possible for someone who is truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to be guilty of this sin, ever. It isn't possible. And one of the things that gives me comfort in knowing that are those words that I just read. Jesus knew their thoughts, right? When they said, he casts out demons by the power of Satan, Jesus could see inside them and knew what kind of heart that was coming from. When I said, you know, in my youthful immaturity and not complete knowledge, said to my friend, I think Satan performs some of these miracles and they're actually real, but Satan's doing them for the purpose of like getting money out of people and like, you know, keeping people in darkness and in blindness in this big charade that's going on. Jesus knew my thoughts. Jesus knew that I was not someone who, listen very carefully, because I, I know every time, I've, I don't even know if I've ever conveyed this story here, but I know that there are people that think about these things, and maybe someone here, maybe someone listening to this, you're thinking about this. Listen, Jesus knew my thoughts, and he knew that I was not someone who, right, how did this start? They were thinking, could this be the son of David? I was and still am someone who's fully convinced that Jesus is the son of David. From the, Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not someone who is looking to try to deny that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And, and my pastor back then just like kind of pointed that out to me, and now I'm pointing it out to you. You know, Jesus saw their thoughts. These were people who were actively fighting against the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? I was one who was fully committed to the fact, and still am, that Jesus is the Messiah, but was skeptical of the fact that men who were false teachers, and some of them still are false teachers, were taking and using their position to manipulate gullible people. I sounds I don't mean that in the insidious way. I mean that with a broken heart. But just like out of their money, right? So do you understand the difference? I don't know if that story edifies anyone or not, but I just felt compelled to tell it. Jesus is talking to people whose hearts were so stone cold and rock hard that in an effort to block people from thinking that Jesus was the son of David, they attributed this healing and this demon casting out to Satan himself. That's very different than the discerning believer who is skeptical about false teaching and false things that are going on. Do you understand that? Do you receive that? I hope that's helpful and edifying. I know I'm a little ahead of myself when I'm saying that, but 
those words, Jesus knew their thoughts, just really gave me a lot of peace in, in my heart and has for many, many years as I think about this passage. So Jesus knows what he's up against. Now let's go on. Let's go on with the passage. You can come and ask me more about that if you want. Um, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, now here's where the reasoning starts. And there's a couple of, there's a couple of points to this. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. What, what, what great American in history is, is famous for having drawn upon this? Lincoln, right? Do you remember the occasion? Not Gettysburg. Close. Close. It was actually his second inaugural address. Uh, and he, it's actually etched. Lincoln's words, which were an adaptation of this, not a verbatim quote, where, where, where Lincoln said, Every, a, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. Um, that those are etched on the walls inside the Lincoln Memorial. I've seen that a couple of times, and it's very cool. But a lot of people just assume that those are profound words which Lincoln spoke, which they are. But clearly they're an adaptation of what Jesus said. And Lincoln was, Lincoln was a, a voracious reader of the Bible, by the way. You should know that. And in any case, um, he was a voracious reader of everything. I don't want to get all, I, I get a little excited talking about history sometimes, but, but, but Lincoln was a guy that never went to school for one day, right? But he became a, a, a very powerful and effective attorney, congressman, and then perhaps the greatest president our country's ever had. So, um, in any case, so anyway, he, uh, you would expect someone whose mind is full of the words of the Bible to be effective in this life too, wouldn't you? That's not a surprise. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation or emptiness or destruction. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's an axiom. That's a statement of fact. Whether it's a kingdom, a nation, a family, a church, a sports team, anything. If there is division within it, it's going to be destroyed. It's where the phrase divide and conquer comes from, right? You want to destroy a nation, sow division. I, I don't give too much thought to politics and things like that, but the, 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 the divisiveness of American politics is going to destroy this country one day if, if, it, doesn't, if it doesn't change. And that, that's all I'll say about that. But it's like it's, it's going to absolutely destroy it. That's what Lincoln was talking about, by the way, between the North and the South. But... but um, what Jesus is getting at is the man is demon-possessed, right? And what you're telling me is by the power of the ruler of demons, I'm casting out a demon. Now, why would Satan, ruler of his kingdom of demons, give someone power to cast out demons? He would be destroying his own kingdom. So you see what Jesus is doing here is he's what? He's reasoning with them. He doesn't owe that to them. He can see that their hearts are hard. Maybe he's saying it for the benefit of the people who are around, who are listening. But he's reasoning with them. Think about this, please. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah that before it really gets into the heart of what the book is about, it says, early in the book, it says, Come, let us reason together. You know, uh, uh, the Lord says through the prophet. And he, then he goes on to say, Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Right? 
And, and, and the Lord is like that so many times in his life where he takes the time to reason with them. I mean, guys, think about what you say. I mean, maybe he said it with like some incredulity in his voice. Think about what you're saying here, boys. You're saying that like I'm casting out a demon by the power of demons, but I'm telling you, a kingdom divided itself is going to be destroyed. Even Satan is not fool enough, foolish enough to think that if he like does something against himself, he's going to stand, right? So it's, it's, it's on the surface, implausible at best, and ridiculous at worst to like put forth what it is you're trying to say here. So Jesus knows what they're saying. He says this thing in verse 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? All right. So that's point number one of reason. You got that? You follow that? Now verse 27. Here's the second point of his reasoning. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, now he adds, he adds another factor here. By whom do your sons cast them out? Ah, so now here's the second point of reason. What does that indicate? They themselves used to, I don't know what form it took. The Bible's not super clear about it. But they themselves used to pray and have people that would pray and ask God to cast demons out of people among their own people. So what Jesus is saying now is, you're telling me that I cast out a demon by the power of demons. Your own people, when they pray and ask for demons to be cast, who are they praying to? Because the implication is what? That those people, they were accountable to the Pharisees as well. So you're telling me that I'm casting out a demon by the power of demons. Your own people cast out, by de cast out demons. Who are they doing it by the power of? Right? And so what? And so they're going to judge you. You know, you're judging, but they're going to be your judges, he says. You see that? Therefore, they shall be your judges. So, point number one of reason is, Satan would not undermine his own kingdom. Point number two is, your own people are casting out, or trying to cast out demons. And if you say, I'm doing it by the power of Satan, what are you saying about your own people? Right? Point number three. And point number three. And this is really the heart of the whole thing is verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, what? Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, that's, I think, one of the reasons why the so-called unpardonable sin is spoken of by Christ. Because Jesus is there and he's casting out demons by the Spirit of God. And they're, they're, they're not just like skeptical of it. They're blaspheming against it. Right? There's, what is blasphemy? We heard it today when we were um, reading uh, at the Lord's Supper. And it says when they walked by Jesus on the cross, it says they blasphemed, right? And they wagged their heads, you know, and they said, Aha, you who... Uh, 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 you who save others, you can't save yourself. If you're the Messiah, save yourself and come down from the cross, right? And so what were they doing? They were, they were speaking in mockery and speaking out of a deliberate, decided heart, trying to attack and to mock and to disbelieve in Jesus, the Messiah. They were speaking against God. Blasphemy is words that are deliberately spoken against God. And Jesus knew that they were blaspheming, not just that they were making a mistake, 
Not just that they were misspeaking, not just they were like a young believer who are a young believer who were like a little skeptical of what was going on, because he knew their thoughts. Right? And so what happens is the spirit, Jesus says, if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, and he just gave them two really solid points why there's no possible way that he would be casting out demons by the power of demons, right? But if he's casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then what? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If you blaspheme against the power that Jesus is performing these miracles in, what are you rejecting? You're rejecting the kingdom of God. You people stand up every day and you proclaim that Messiah is going to come and he's going to kick out the Romans or whoever's in power and he's going to reestablish the kingdom of God. Here I am performing miracles. And, if, and listen, I've already shown you it's stupid, it's ridiculous for you to think that I'm casting out demons by the power of demons. So stop it, right? But also, if, I, if, the, if the only alternative, if I'm, not, if I'm not casting out demons by the power of demons, by the prince of demons, then I'm casting out demons by what? By the power of the Spirit of God. And if I cast out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is right here. Right here, right now. You're standing in it. You understand? God, the Holy Spirit, has given me this power to cast this demon out of this man. And you're standing here and saying, what? You're blaspheming against that? There is nothing else. That's why Jesus goes on to say, and we'll break it down more next week, but that's why Jesus goes on to say, it won't be forgiven in this age or in the next. There, there is, there is, that's, he, sa- he actually says what? Even words you speak against me will be forgiven. So when those, when those, when those chief priests walk by and said, aha, you who saved others, you can't even save yourself. That's forgivable. And Jesus prayed that they would be forgiven, right? The Gospel of Luke records that when he was on the cross, he actually prayed for the people who did this and said those things and said, Father, forgive them what? For they know not what they do. Why? Because he knew their thoughts. And he knew they had no idea what they were really doing here. And of course, he knew that this was his mission, was to come and to die, Right? So, so, so he prayed for them. So that's forgivable. Because God's plan was for Jesus to be betrayed and to be sacrificed for our sins. And so he prays, Father, please forgive them. That, that's a forgivable thing. But when you're in the presence of the Spirit of God, and you not only reject, but you actually open your mouth to blaspheme against Your heart is so hard. Your mind is so corrupt. And you are so far gone that you would actually say, it's Satan who's done this. It's Satan who is trying to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. That's really what they're they're after here. right? Because the purpose of the miracle was to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah and that by believing Him, they might be saved. You're actually trying to convince people that it is Satan who is trying to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah. Man, you're right in the presence of the kingdom of God and there is nothing else, right? I mean, I mean, eventually, when you get to the end of this chapter, when you get to, or when you get to the next passage in verse 38, what do they say after all this? We want to see a sign from you. 
right? I mean, they, they want, that's what they want. They want signs. And Jesus is like, what do you mean you want signs? You just got a sign and you said it was the devil that did it. No sign for you. That, that's, that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it that way. Everyone's thinking of Seinfeld now. That's great. Good. That's good preaching. All right. So, so listen, no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The son of man is going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. That's it. That's it. That's it. Right. But they're blaspheming because they're blaspheming because the work that was done for the purpose of convincing people of the heart of the gospel, which was that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were talking about it. They were talking among themselves. Could this be the son of David? Could this be the son? Hey, 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 stop, stop, stop it. No, no, no. It's by the power of Satan that he's doing this. Jesus is like, kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand. Your own people cast out demons. What power are they doing it by? And by the way, if I, if I really am casting out this demon and it's, completely preposterous and impossible that it's Satan who's giving you the power to do it. Then who is? It's the Holy Spirit. And if I cast out demons by the Holy Spirit, then you are standing in the presence of God. You are standing in the midst of the kingdom of God right here and right now and saying, what? Anything you say against me, any sin you commit, any word you even speak against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But this, never. Not forgiven now, not forgiven in the time to come. I mentioned before, John Calvin and other Protestant reformers and theologians, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with them when they say it is impossible for a believer to commit this sin. You can't, by definition, be a believer unless you have believed the gospel. And the only way you can believe the gospel is because the Holy Spirit has done His work in you, regenerating you, giving life to your mind and to your heart and to your spirit, drawing God the Father does you to Himself, granting to you His by His power and His grace to repent and to believe. Listen, go back farther than all of that. He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Not possible for a believer, a true believer, to commit a sin that would be unpardonable. And one of the things that I learned from my pastor when I called him, and, from, and I've said this to other people, not just about this, but about even other sins and other things we struggle with, this has to be, this is a good thought to close on, this has to be reconciled with something else that is axiomatic and equally true. It's come, it comes from Psalm 51, which tells us, what about the contrite and broken spirit? God will what? Never refuse. Right? So, what I was told when I made that phone call was, the fact that you're concerned about it is proof that you didn't commit it. Do you understand that? that? That is an important concept to know even about sin. When we, when we talk about the very complicated issue of sin in the life of a believer, 
which is there are many differing views about that even down through the history of the church. But when we talk about that, what I really think the fundamental thing is, is what is your attitude towards it? Are you able to sin and it doesn't even bother you or concern you? Or when, when you find yourself sin, you're like the Apostle Paul and you say, it's no longer I who sin, but sin in me. Because you know you don't want to sin, but you find yourself just overtaken in a trespass in the flesh and you're humble and you're broken and you're broken before God and your desire is to be cleansed. There's a great difference. God resists the proud but gives his grace to the humble, right? These people who spoke this horrible thing were the proud. Can we agree on that? There's not a shred of humility in this fellow does not cast out demons by Beelzebub or does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. There's no humility in that. That's, that's, that's pride outworked. And that's where the second and third parts of this passage go, especially the third part. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And when we come back next week, we'll hit that. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much that we've had this time together today. And uh, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that... Um, you would help us, Lord, to take the things that we have received today and to be encouraged in our faith by it, to be bold when it comes to sharing the words of Christ with other people and help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to you in worship and in faith and in service. And we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Youth group starts.